tonight is November 9th, 2016. Uh, the title of tonight's message is Catalyst. Catalyst. So, um, I, I, love, I love you guys very deeply. Um, I think about you throughout every day. I'm trying to figure out who else I can get to and think about and pray about. And um, I want to make sure that we understand a few things. Maybe this is the simplicity of me and my teacher's nature. I want to make sure that everyone understands things. Um, I want you to understand what God is speaking to us as a church right now. Nick could not have hit it more on the head um, had he and I sat down for hours and talked about it today. That's the good part about what the Lord does. The idea that, that the Lord is having his staff and he is stirring. There's a stirring going on. There's a stirring going on. Uh, if you were there Monday night with us at Foundations, uh, we had a very unique night where the intent was for us to pray more than we actually talked just because I felt like there was a stirring and I didn't know how else to get to it, was just praying together, going through some of the articles of the temple, but focusing in on the, the altar of incense where we offer our praise before the Lord. We offer our prayers before the Lord, rather. Um, I was blessed to see a picture, a, a, a flash of a vision on Sunday afternoon while we were praying with our pastors and our elders, which, by the way, can I tell you what an honor that is? being in the same room, and we were just praying together, and the Lord was just making his presence known before us. People were, I love the fact that I'm in a room, and people are sharing words with each other, and scriptures, and pictures, and visions, and this is what God is doing. I try not to take that for granted. It is what I expect with this group of leaders. I, I'm fully aware that that is our expectation, and it's a precious thing. The picture that I saw was as I entered, we were, I was walking in a, in a beautiful forest setting, beautiful sunlight, um, just trees and grass. We weren't walking on anything particular. I didn't notice what we were walking on other than I could see, and it was grass. And I turned slightly to my left, and what I saw was that we began to pray. The leaders of this church began to pray. And as we did, it was like a mighty wind from the Lord, as if his spirit and his presence started blowing. And what it did was it blew down this path, yeah, I'll turn around, pardon me, kind of to the left, right? So I'm looking down the path, and what it did was it cleared out. It looked like it was completely covered. It looked just like grass, like anywhere else, but when we started praying, the Spirit of the God f blew through there, and it opened up this pathway. It blew like a, like a blower, and it blew all the grass off of the path. And what was there, hidden to us, but pre-prepared by the Lord, was this incredible granite or marble beautiful, white, beautiful, perfectly white pathway. And so as we prayed, it immediately cleared up and we saw, and, and what I, the only way I can describe it is it just went off into the distance. And what I knew was as we prayed, the Lord was clearing paths before us that he had already ordained, but he was letting us see them because of our heart's desire to pray, to offer up sacrifices, our heart's desire to be stirred. Let's not forget that. I, I don't care where you are in your life. I don't care what your daily tasks look like. I don't care how busy or non-busy you are. I don't care if this is a good season for you or a bad season for you. What I want to encourage you is that God is causing a catalyst to come into our lives. He is stirring us in a way, and you will either allow him to stir you, 
and you will go after this with all of your heart so there will not be any, any places in your life that are left unstirred, or you're going to miss an actual mighty move of God. It won't be because he didn't prepare a path for you. It's because you're not going to allow the catalyst that he is using inside of you to move you to be where you need to be. We can pray and be done now. Amen. I, I mean, we're, we're not. <laughs> but I, re I really feel like I could. I really feel like that is the word of the Lord to us. Everything else tonight, whatever else goes on in this place, is just to, to motivate us to be able to do that. But what I cannot do for you is I cannot be stirred on your behalf. I am stirred in a way that I can't express to you. I'm stirred in a way that it's making me want to go before the Lord in prayer like I have it maybe in either a long time or maybe ever. I love getting in the presence of God. I so love his word. I want to make sure that my prayer life is equal to those two, ta those two facets as well. I want you to come along with me in this journey of what God's doing and he's stirring us. What you need in your heart is to have God stir you. How many more incredible sermons do we need as a church? Amen. Lord, keep giving them to us every time we get them. I think every one of us, if you've been here for any amount of time, it's not that we don't know. It's not that we haven't heard. It's what are we doing and are we allowing God? Are we so dependent on him? that we really can't go forward unless he's stirring us in our soul. So tonight, the, the message is catalyst. Accelerating towards God's will. Accelerating towards God's will. Um, Susan, if you go ahead and put up some of these slides. <clears throat> Amen. Just not working. Amen. Well, good. I didn't need to do the slides anyway. okay don't even worry about it let's just let it die right there we don't even have to fight with it we just got done with an incredible uh, historic day yesterday you know what I think that yesterday was I think yesterday was the catalyst I think that what it was doing in us since I don't have that um, can you guys come get the board for me and put it right behind me we'll just we'll just this is family right this is not going to keep us from being stirred for the Lord. Thank you. I think what's interesting is, is that when you look and you, you view yesterday, what you see is, <laughs> I don't know if you've had this, but I've had this experience where I have friends and, of course, they're posting on Facebook a lot of things. And some of them, I'm like, you've lost your mind. You have flipping lost your mind. I don't, the sky is not falling. The world is not coming to an end. Not because of that. <laughs> I have people on both sides. I literally have people and friends of mine. Uh, I guess I have to put friends in quotes. Everything from sharing websites is TrumpTheAntichrist.com. To Trump is the savior. No, 
definitely know. So what is it doing? It's causing a catalyst. Um, what a catalyst is, is this. A catalyst, according to the dictionary, is a substance that causes or accelerates a chemical reaction without itself being affected. A catalyst is something that gets something started, it gets it rolling while itself doesn't change. And I was like, wow, what a catalyst is going on in our country. I'm hoping that the catalyst is to awaken the souls of the American church, to awaken this sleeping, slumbering giant that up till now has been just asleep for a long, long time. If you think that it's been in the recent, uh, just with the last president or last few presidents, you, you, you are not aware of what is actually going on. It's been a long time. The American church has been asleep for a long time. I'm praying that it become a catalyst to awaken. Something that causes or accelerates a chemical reaction without itself being affected. As I was studying and preparing, one of the main things that I thought of was this. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, and let's look at verse 33. I was trying to think of things that were catalysts throughout the Bible, and um, my problem tonight was that I, that I thought of, I just kept thinking of more and more. Um, and this is the first thing that I thought of, was Matthew 13, 33. He told them still another parable. This is Jesus speaking. And by the way, if you go through Matthew 13, you'll see a lot of things that you have different stories, but it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like something else. It's giving us these pictures of what the kingdom of heaven is like. Here is one. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. Now, here's what, here's what it, it kind of hit me. Uh, most of the time, I think of yeast as a bad thing. Yes? We're going to read some scriptures that show us what it does. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Everybody say all. all. This is what yeast is. Yeast is a catalyst. It is a catalyst. The problem is, is when we have yeast being representing uh, something negative, the, it's a problem because it will work its way all the way through. Now let me tie this into what we were talking about tonight. Uh, Justin Treister gave what he felt like the Lord was speaking to him and he couldn't let it go. I, I'm going to fill in the blank just a touch and go, I'm not sure that Justin wanted to come forward and say that. There was something that he was being troubled with and wanted to share it. Can I tell you that when you have a fence, it's like yeast in your heart. You can't have a fence against me. You can't have a fence against someone and not think that it's going to impact every part of your entire life. You cannot have a little bit of yeast in there because it will impact everything. Jesus Christ himself is talking here and he's saying, you know what I want you to be like? I want you to take the characteristic of a catalyst that yeast is and I want you to be that. That's what the kingdom of heaven is. It will impact everything around it. It will continue to work until every molecule has been altered by what the kingdom of heaven is. Amen? Amen. 
That's what we are supposed to be. If the kingdom of heaven is in us, then it is working through every part of our lives. From the inside out, it's working. It's working. It's working. I know you may see things in me that you don't like. I get it. But don't worry. The kingdom of heaven is working. It's working. It's working. It's developing things within me to every molecule. It is working all the way through this person that you see before you. What you see is not the final product yet. Because I am working, I'm allowing the catalyst of God's Spirit to have His way in my life. And that's what we are supposed to be in the world. Let's take a look at some scriptures here. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 9. Galatians 5, 9. To our point. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Just a little bit. It doesn't take much for this to be impacting. That's the great part about yeast, actually. This is a, a small amount. By the way, in that chapter, Matthew 13, he also said that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. He's showing you that just a small amount of this has an, uh, an exponential impact. Just one part of the kingdom, you, me, just one little part should have an exponential impact around it. Let's take a look at Genesis 19. Let's go all the way back to Genesis 19. And let's take a look at verse 1. Genesis 19 is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, this is, this is the introduction to this story. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. Next verse. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet, spend the night, and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered. We will spend the night in the square. Hey, look, it's, thank you for your hospitality. We're okay. We're going to just spend the night out here in the square. These are angels that he's talking to. But he insisted so strongly that they did, that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them. Now this is, this is in Genesis 19. We haven't gotten to the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread yet. We haven't gotten to the Passover. This is Genesis 19. And listen to what he makes for them. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast. <laughs> this thread goes all the way through the scriptures of, if we're going to present something to the Lord, we cannot have any any sinfulness in our lives. We cannot have the yeast of a, of a fleshly desire anywhere in there because what we offer to the Lord has to be pure. Take a look at Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. Let's do verse 19. 19 through 21. Gideon went in, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot. He brought them out and offered them to him under the oak tree. This is the angel that's visiting with Gideon, mighty man of valor. He's not even understanding that it's an angel at this moment. He will shortly, but in, this, the, in verse 19, he didn't even understand who he was talking to, but he, there was something about what he wanted to present to the Lord that he knew that he needed to present it with purity, without yeast. Take a look at Ezra. Ezra, chapter 6, also verse 19. 
Ezra 6.19 says this, On the 14th day of the first month, the exiles, everybody say exiles, Exiles. celebrated the Passover. The priests and Levites had purified themselves and were all ceremonially clean. The Levites slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the exiles, for their brothers, the priests, and themselves. So the Israelites who had returned from the exile ate it, together with all who had separated themselves from the unclean practices of their Gentile neighbors in order to seek the Lord, the God of Israel. Isn't this, this is, this is so encouraging to me. The same thing that it takes for us to be stirred now, the same thing that it takes for us to have a catalyst at work in our life from the heavenlies is the exact same thing that's here. Israelites who returned from the exile ate it uh, with all those who had separated themselves from the unclean practices of their Gentile neighbors. (laughs) Still the same requirement we have today. How many of you have Gentile neighbors? (laughs) I mean, right, all of us, right? Of course we do, right? Um, Let's take a look at Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. In verse 1, Luke 12, 1, it says this. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered, so that they were trampling on one another. That's a big crowd. Yeah. You ever been in a crowd that, you, that kind of started to get out of hand? That's, that's a bit of a scary piece to be in. Been in enough football games in my life, been in enough large crowds that when they start moving and you're, when you realize that you're getting pushed where you don't want to go, Black Friday sales? I mean, come on, what, whatever it may be. All the ladies just went, oh, now I understand. <laughs> Football, we weren't quite sure about, right? They were, the crowds had gathered so that they were trampling one another. Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. Hey, guys, come here. i got to tell you something. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. Be on your guard. In this case, it gives a very specific example of what the yeast can be which is hypocrisy. When you're saying one thing and what you have on the inside of you is something completely different. Be careful. Be on guard. Be alert. Be vigilant against the yeast of the Pharisees. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians 5. Let's start in verse 6. It says this, Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Listen to these next two verses here. Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. I love it in this case. The Lord is just trying to encourage you. Paul, you're getting encouraged through the word. Like, look, he's not saying that there isn't yeast there. As a matter of fact, he's saying there is yeast here. No, you've still got some in there. What you need to do is get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. I think this understanding of yeast is something that we continue to work out. Once you get saved, you literally give the Lord everything that you have, everything that you understand, everything that you are. But you know what happens is as you grow, you know what you should be doing. 
is as the light of the Lord comes in on you, you should you you'll be able to find some er- some area that you didn't know before, but that it was actually full of yeast. You're like, oh man, I used to think I did this because of this. I had a noble cause for my actions there, but the truth is, Lord, I just don't trust you. Oh my gosh, I was sitting here with a lack of faith, and I was calling, and I had labeled it something noble. I was doing something wrong and had given it a glorious name. Lord, you should be going through a process where you start, you'll come up against something, and you know what you do in that moment? You get rid of the old yeast, and you become a a new batch made without yeast. This is not the time where you crumble and stop and lay down on the ground and quit. This is like, thank you, Lord, for your light that allows there to be no yeast in my life. What a glorious God that he will show you those sinful parts. And the word says, this is not, that's not who you really are. Huh. I find immense amount of hope in this. I find encouragement down to my soul, to my inner parts going, thank you, Lord. He knows the difference. I've given him everything that I know. But now that I'm growing, I learned, golly, Whew. that's pretty bad, isn't it, Lord? And he's like, yep. Yep, it's bad. Lord, I fall before you. Uh, Therefore, let us keep the festival, right? Not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness. Malice and wickedness. But with the bread without yeast, the bread of what? Sincerity and truth. Spirit and truth. These are the kind of worshipers that God seeks after. Those who will worship him in sincerity or in spirit and truth. This is what we're after. Can I, let me share this word with you. Um, when, we, when you're talking in the Old Testament, bread made without yeast, it is um, the Hebrew word 4682. And it's the word, I'm going to spell it just the way it is on here. I didn't miss, this is <laughs> actually in the Hebrew. It's matzah. You can get different kind of, you have some different spelling, but the original word here is, it's matzah, the matzah bread. When you go and looking for communion bread, you can go to the store and you can find matzah bread, which means that it's made without yeast. Um, let me just read to you the definition. I, I understood that without yeast, this just blessed me to no end this afternoon. Uh, in the sense, <laughs> it's in a sense of greedily devouring sweetness. What? I was expecting the bread made without yeast. That's what I was expecting, right? In, a, in the sense of greedily devouring for sweetness, properly, the word means sweetness. Concretely, the word means sweet. So you have a matzah here, and really the definition is this. Sweet. I.e., not soured or bittered with yeast. What? This is something that will turn into, when you have bread that's made without yeast, you know what it is to you when you get used to it? (laughs) It's the sweetness of not having any yeast in your life. It's not soiled. It's not bittered. Do you have things that you like and it's just too bitter for you to take? 
You know, if you're like me when I was growing up, when coming through and I wasn't a coffee drinker, I don't know how you can live at LCM and not be a coffee drinker. I am becoming a connoisseur in this. I'm not quite sure that how you can make it. But what happens is, speaking of, um, <laughs> speaking of coffee and the need for it, right? The reason I didn't like it at first was because it was too bitter for my taste. You can get adjusted to things, but it was too bitter for me at first. You know what this is? When you can have your offering to the Lord made without yeast, something that's sweet to you. You know, if you go on a diet and you don't eat regular sugar for a while and then you have something with a little bit and you're like, whoa, it's too much. This is what this is supposed to be like. You know why? Because yeast is a catalyst. It's going to do much more than you think it's going to do in your life. You know, one of the other things that I think about a catalyst before we go into the next one is I think that a catalyst... I think what it really does is it shifts us one direction or another. I think what a catalyst does and what it's supposed to do in our life is to heighten what's really there. We're going to keep going with this thought. Let's turn to Romans chapter 7. Are you all with me so far? Romans chapter 7. One catalyst in our life is yeast. It's a catalyst that we must remove down to the smallest degree. Romans chapter 7 and verse 7. Do you guys have a, a title, a caption for this section in your Bible? Struggling with sin. You know what else is a catalyst in our lives that we have to be careful of? Is sin. Romans 7 says this, starting in verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Everybody say, certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. So when you're going through, maybe you guys are much more mature than me, so let's just pretend like it's your kids, right? And you're saying, hey, don't do that. My wonderful son, Gabriel, used to sit there be like, don't you touch that. And he would stand there, literally flat-footed, and be like... He would clench his fist. He would start shaking because he wanted to do what I just told him not to do. And it was literally this little struggle in his little noggin about, I may be willing to pay this penalty. <laughs> I'm not quite sure. He was little. It, this wasn't like we could, we could go into a big, long discussion about what he's really thinking. There was no need to explain anything. You could just see it in his little two-year-old or three-year-old body or whatever it was that he just wanted to do it, and he heard, clearly heard what I had said, and he was just wrestling in that moment with whether he was going to or not. Husbands. Um, ever decided that you wanted to do something for your wife? And then she asks you to do it, and then you get mad that she asks you to do it. I have, like, you know what? I'm gonna bless my wife. I'm gonna do the dishes. I, I'm good at the dishes. There's something about it I enjoy. I'm, I'm gonna do this because I bless. Just bless my wife. Hey, babe, can you do the dishes? Oh! 
now I don't want to do the dishes because she said to oh, or asked me to. Sin is a really funky thing. It's a funny thing. When, you, when, it, when you're told not to do something, don't walk on the grass. <laughs> Why is that? It's because we have a sinful nature that's working in us. If there wasn't a sign that said, don't walk on the grass, you may have never thought about walking on the grass. But because there's a sign there, you ain't going to tell me what to do. Yeah, that's, this is human beings, right? What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was until the law had said, don't covet. You know why? Because it exposes my heart. It's a catalyst. So it pushes me one way or another. It shows me that I really do have an evil inclination of my heart. I really do. I want to do what I want to do, and I don't want anybody to tell me anything different. Problem is, is that's completely opposed to the authority of God. It's completely wrong, but we're all so familiar with it, it's easy for it to get by if you're not careful and realizing that this thing is a catalyst. Look at the next verse. It says this, But sin, seizing the opportunity. What a great phrase. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commands, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. I want your stuff, I want your house, I want your fame, I want your fortune, I want your, your favor, whatever it is. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. Let me, let me let the Bible comment on the Bible. Verse 11, for sin, seizing the opportunity. Everybody say, seizing the opportunity. That's what a catalyst does. If it's there, it will seize the opportunity. That's what it's designed to do. Afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandments put me to death. So then, listen to this. Lest you think that the commands are somehow bad or wrong. So then the law is holy, and the command is holy, righteous, and good. So then what is the problem? It's me. It's you. It's the sinful nature that's the problem. You cannot look at the, the Older Testament and say, yeah, the commands were bad. No, the commands are holy, righteous, good. The problem is, is that it's my sinful nature that gets in the way here and it starts to mess things up. Look at the next verse, verse 13. It says this, Did that which was good then become death to me? By no means. Everybody say, by no means. By but in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. You know what he's saying? He's saying that the commands allowed sin to be revealed for what it really was, a catalyst. It showed that I was really dead on the inside, and I just didn't know it. What a gracious God we have. Amen. You ever have a problem, just something that's underlying and you don't know it's there? Sometimes the worst thing you can do is not know that there's a problem. There are medical conditions that people have where they cannot feel pain properly. You know what happens? Those people get in all kind of trouble. 
They didn't realize they were cut. They didn't realize they were hurt. They didn't realize they had a problem, and they went on through life and they, until it finally became so bad that there was nothing that doctors could do about it. If you didn't have pain in your life, that would be a terrible thing. You don't agree with that when you stub your toe in the middle of the night. Thank you, Lord, for this pain. That's not what you're trying to say. Sin in our lives, the law came, the commandments came to show us that we were really sinful without Him. That we weren't good. There was none righteous. No, not one. Turn to uh, Romans chapter 5. Let's look at verse 20, I believe. Romans 5. Just back a page or so. This is what it's saying. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. God wanted it to be a catalyst to cause it to come to fruition. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is an incredible thing. Sin is a catalyst. Just like yeast, we have to expel it completely. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 21. Galatians 3 and verse 21 says this, Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? <laughs> Absolutely not. Do you realize how emphatic these words are, both in Romans 7, in Romans 5, in Galatians 3? It's trying to make sure that you understand. The law was there to expose that sin is a catalyst in you. That's what it was doing. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? We've got to be either an Older Testament believer or a New Testament believer? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come through the law. Again, it's exposing what's really there. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to start in verse 4. This is one of those scriptures I love and then I don't always love because it indicts who I really am. The Word of God in itself is a catalyst. I like to have excuses about my life and why certain things still overcome me. And this, this is one of those scriptures that kind of just does away with the excuses. In your struggle against sin, in your struggle, in my struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. Bam. In your face. But, but I've, been, I've really been trying. Really? In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. <laughs> Jesus did. He was sweating drops like blood. What we have to do is we have to want so deeply to understand that these are catalysts, that we must expel the yeast. We must expel every part of sin, every part of it. Nothing is acceptable. Quit saying you have issues. What you have going on is sin. And we expel these things. Take a look. Um, let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. 
you have not yet resisted sin to the point of shedding your own blood. Another catalyst in our life. Another catalyst in our life is suffering or adversity. Yet again, it's supposed to be a catalyst that we welcome. In this case, we welcome this one. Deuteronomy chapter 4, I'm sorry, let me get there. And verse 30 it says this. When you are in distress, everybody say distress. When you're in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey Him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. Amen? He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your forefathers, which He confirmed on them by oath. The, the first part of this, when you are in distress, we're going to run through some scriptures here because we've taught on this many times. I'm looking at suffering as the catalyst. The difficulties in your life are designed to be a catalyst. Whether you like what happened in the election or not, A, it's already over. B, it's designed to be a catalyst in your life. It's supposed to be doing something. And you know what it does? It'll show you really where you are. Suffering will show you where you are. If you can have difficulty come and you go, golly, I don't like this at all. But praise be to my God who is at work in my life. Thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you for this difficulty. Personally, in my own self, I can't stand this. But I trust that you are good. I trust that it will show you. If you get in the suffering and all you can do is complain, if you get in difficulties and all you can do is lament, if you can get in difficulties and all you can do is think about the negative things and how to attack someone else because you're hurt, it's a catalyst, all right. It's just not doing in you. It's actually causing you to go these things. What did I say at the beginning? It either causes or accelerates a change. What's suffering accelerating in you? Is it accelerating God's goodness in your life? Or is it becoming a roadblock for you? Is it pushing you closer to God? Or is it pushing you further away? And now, and now, now you feel like you've, you've been reset. You've, you've taken steps backwards in the Lord. Maybe this is, again, the graciousness of the Lord to show you where you're really at. I'm always the type, you know, somebody comes up and says, do you want the good news or the bad news? Tell me the bad news. I don't know why. I'm just that guy. Tell me the bad news so I can start working on that first. If it's good news, I'm not terribly worried about it. Give me the bad news. I'll go, I'll, go, I'll go start now. You don't even have to tell me the good news. Let's just go get this. I want to have a walk with the Lord that's the same way. Lord, what pastoring, real pastoring and real discipleship does is it shows you where you're weak so that you can go fix it. What many churches do is they don't pastor you. They're not, you're not being discipled. So you don't know. I literally have asked people this in my life, and I've, told, I've shared some of this with, with you guys before. I have asked people who were over me, who had authority, who I respected, please tell me how I can get better. Hey, you're great. You're great. You're doing a great job. Okay, amen. Thank you. That's encouraging. I'll come back. Hey, I'm new to this. 
I don't know what's going on. Can you, can, can you help me? Can you show me? I've, I've got to, I'm, I'm sure. I'm so, I lack so much knowledge, I don't even know where I'm not doing well. Like, I can't even, would you help me? Doing great. Um, yeah, that's not helping me. I was that way when I was a first-year teacher. I was, tell me, I want to get good at this thing. I'm not playing. I'm, I'm serious about this pursuit. Are you serious about your pursuit? What are these sufferings showing you? Look at your life. What is it actually showing you? Take a look at Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah 30 and verse 20. <clears throat> Isaiah 30, 20. Although the Lord gives you what? Sorry, I hear a lot of pages turning. I should have waited another second there. I want you to get it. I'm not, I'm not upset or being fussy here. I just want everybody to get this. Isaiah 30, 20. Although the Lord gives you the bread of... Who gave it? Uh-huh. Yeah, he does. Thank you, Lord. I need it. Don't like it? I need it. You need it. We do much better when we have adversity. The question in my mind about this, this election was not if the Lord is going to give us the bread of adversity, just how much and how soon. That was the only question I had in my mind. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction... Thank you, Lord. He gives you bread and water, all right. Bread of adversity, the water of affliction. Your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes you will see them. And this, the next verse, we're very familiar with it. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. You know what this is doing? You know what the bread of adversity does? You know what the waters of affliction does? Is it causes you to be dependent on him. His favor doesn't always cause us to be dependent because we're humans. So the easier it gets, the more we go, I got this. No, really, I can do it. I got it. What do you need me to do? Okay, great. I got it. Lord, I'm desperate. I've got so much bread of affliction. I've got so much waters of advers uh, bread of adversity and waters of affliction here. I can't stand it. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm confused. I'm, I'm worn out. That's when you hear the voice of the Lord behind you saying, whether you turn to the right or left, that this is the way, walk in it. Amen. We always want his, we want it to be easy. I want it to be easy. I want him to tell me 92 days ahead of time, and I just know that it's there, and it's going to be easy path laid out before me. He wants me to pray to the point where his wind will blow. It's him that finds the path, not me searching around forever in a forest. He says, just pray. Amen. Yes, Lord. How are you doing, Amos? We've been talking about being utterly dependent upon the Lord. How are you doing? Are you completely dependent upon Him yet? If you're not, then let the adversity work its work. Let the suffering work what it's supposed to do in you. Turn to Psalm chapter 18. Psalm 18. Verse 4. Psalm 18, 4. The cords of death entangled me. 
The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, in my adversity and suffering, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From His temple, He heard my voice. My cry came before Him into His ears. You know what happens when we really are in these places? The Lord hears us. He has moved. Turn to Psalm 34 while we're close. Psalm 34. Let's do verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are attentive to their cry. When you're here and you're calling out to Him through the suffering and adversity, He hears you. He promises that He will. Turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. James chapter 1 says this. Let's start in verse 2. No, let's start in verse 1. James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes, what? Scattered. Scattered among the nations. I often start in verse 2. That's why I said it by habit. And I realized, yeah, this is the picture that you need to see. Before you hear the consider it pure joy, my brothers... Understand who James is talking to. He's talking to the 12 tribes, not neatly tucked in their little, their, you know, soft beds at night. He's talking to the 12 tribes that are scattered among the nations. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be, what? Mature and complete, not lacking anything. If you skip this step, if you skip this catalyst, there is no possibility for you to be mature. No wonder we have so many immature Christians walking around. They're all trying to skip this step. They're all trying to wonder what's going on when they actually get into suffering instead of embracing it, instead of considering it pure joy. We've heard, we've heard these scriptures so much. My heart lately because I'm trying to let the Lord stir me and therefore communicate it to you. How are you doing on considering it pure joy? Is that your first response? Thank you, Lord. And I don't mean, I don't mean in front of people. I don't mean in a weird kind of way. I mean in your heart. Do you go, amen. Thank you, God. This is going to be good for me. This is going to be for my good. This is going to make me more like you. This is going to help me to get rid of yeast and sin in my life. This is going to teach me things. This will help me be more mature. Thank you, Lord, for this adversity. Or do you worry about where your bank account is? Do you worry about how your physical health is? Do you, are you not, are you or are you not purely joyful when it happens? That is our standard, ladies and gentlemen. The scripture is our standard. Not what we think about it. Not our own commentary on it but you either are considering it pure joy or you are not. And if you are not, repent and consider it pure joy. Can you just put up a few scriptures for me, Susan? We'll just read through these quickly. Luke 6, 22. You guys don't have to turn. We'll just get through them. Blessed are you when men hate you. Wow. When they exclude you and insult you and reject you, 
your name is evil because of the Son of Man. Blessed are you when men hate you. You're either going to love the word or you're not. You're either going to take these things and say, Lord, this is a mirror. Am I doing this or not? Do I feel blessed? Do I act blessed or not? Luke, uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 41. says this, The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they've been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Amen. How you doing when you, get, when you get to suffer disgrace for the name? Hallelujah! Happy dance! Thank you, Lord! Let's have a worship service. You know why? Because I was just disgraced for him. These are not esoteric thoughts, ladies and gentlemen. This is what our lives are supposed to be. Amen. Not pretend like, but actually be. Romans chapter 8, verse 17 and 18 says this. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Good scripture. If we indeed... <laughs> wait, if... If-then statements, right? We, if we are children... If we really are children, then we're heirs with God, co-heirs with Christ. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. You don't get to skip this step, because it's the catalyst that you have to have in your life. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, says this, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Amen. That's what your lot in life is. That's what's been appointed to you. It has been granted to you on behalf of. Isn't that an interesting juxtaposition of these words? It has been granted. It is a gift to you on behalf of Christ. Telegram, special delivery, here, it's suffering for you. Brought to you by Jesus. You're either going to have the same joy when it happens or you're not. He's telling us ahead of time. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 says this. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you. Listen to this. If you don't have this underlined in your Bible, you should. I'm just telling you now. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of this body, which is the church. <laughs> The suffering, I rejoice in what was suffered for you because it helps me to get my flesh. What's lacking in me is worked out through the suffering that I have. No other way, my friends. Let's do one more. 2 Timothy 3.12. There are many more scriptures that I can do, but this is where we'll stop here and move on. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone. Everyone. When's the last time you were actually persecuted? When was it? Have you ever been persecuted? In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ, Jesus will be persecuted. Okay? I'm intentionally letting this sit here for just a minute. 
should be that we are looking for the persecution. Not for our sinfulness, not because of some stupid thing that we're doing, but because of the righteousness of Christ. The more righteous that I am, the more it will have to cause persecution in my life. If I am not yet to the point where I'm causing persecution, then I am not yet righteous enough. I have not gone after this hard enough. I have not let his catalyst push me far enough in the direction that I'm really desiring to go. It's true whether we like it or not. Turn to Psalm chapter 141. This one, this, uh, this next topic, as we're rounding the corner here. Psalm 141, and we'll start in verse 1. We'll read 1 and 2. So we have yeast that's a catalyst. We have sin that's a catalyst. We have suffering that is a catalyst. And we have prayer that is a catalyst. Psalm 141, O Lord, I come to you, call, come, I call to you, come quickly to me. Hear my voice when I call to you. One more verse. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting of my hands be like the evening sacrifice to you. These things that rise up to the Lord, that rise from our mouth, like the incense there in the very tabernacle of the Lord. They rise up to the Lord. We read some of these verses on Monday night. You can see in Revelation that the incense of the saints are our very prayers. Our prayers rise like incense. It's said here in Psalm, it's said all the way in Revelation, and it's communicated throughout His Word. This is what's supposed to be going up to the Lord as a sweet and a fragrant offering. As a sweet offering before the Lord. Turn back to Psalm 34. I wanted to read a little bit more there. Psalm 34. In verse 12, <clears throat> Psalm 34, 12. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil, do good, seek peace, pursue it. If you've ever been through our marriage counseling, that verse right there, you should be able to think of a lot of things that deal with shalom and having the right kind of peace in your life. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. His face is against those. Our society, our Christian American church cannot say that anyone is actually doing evil. The Lord's face is towards everyone. No, His face is against those who do evil. To cut off their memory of them from the earth. Verse 17, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all of their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Let's look at verse 13. James 5, 13. <laughs> I love this verse. 
I just, I just, sometimes it just strikes me how simple and how plain the scripture is. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. <laughs> oh, great. Is that all? Yes. How many of you ever felt like you've been in trouble in your life? I have. How many of you felt like it this month? Lord, I need you. Is any one of you in trouble? Any one of you? He should pray. It doesn't say that you should talk to your neighbor. It doesn't say that you should talk to someone and build a coalition of people who have had like type of trouble as you. It doesn't say that you should go to Facebook and find out what you should do and what you should think. Anyone know how to deal with this? Looking for answers. <laughs> you should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Um, is any of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. It doesn't say might. Doesn't say, eh, it says it will. When we call for our elders to come forward and pray for people, my firm belief is that they will pray for you. They'll just do more for, than pray for you. Because of the scripture, they will be allowed to heal you because of the authority that God has granted them. Period. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Wow. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. How are your prayers, folks? If you were going to describe your own prayer life, would you say powerful and effective? Would those be the first two words of your prayer life or would you find some other words? My stirring, the stirring that the Lord is doing in my heart is partially about this that leads to other things. Sutherland, you're not praying enough. It's not you're not praying enough. Yes, you're not, you're not praying with a fervency that reflects what I've asked you to do. Lord, I'm so sorry. I clearly must choose to do other things instead of actually wanting to be with you. You know the altar of incense in the tabernacle? You weren't supposed to have a burn offering on it. You weren't supposed to have a grain offering on it. It wasn't for other reasons. It was just to offer prayers to the Lord. It was just to have communion. How are you doing? How should you be doing? Be stirred, why don't you? Amen. Be stirred. If you're, if you're a beast in prayer... Be stirred. If you're terrible at praying, be stirred. Get up and do something in your heart. Cry out to God. Are you in trouble? Then you should pray. Are you happy? Then you should pray. In other words, are you, are you getting the theme here? It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what's going on. The first thing that you should think of is going to the Lord. And not even to offer another sacrifice. Lord, I need this, 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 and this. Lord, I just want to be with you. I just want to be with you. Amen. I figure that if I'm with you, you do tell me to ask. 
You do say that it's important that I ask you for what I need. I will do that later. I just want to be with you. And think about any relationship that you have. If you're only asking for something every time you get together, that becomes a burdensome relationship. I just, I like hanging out with my wife. I just like her. She's pretty. She's fun. I want to have a desire to hang out with the Lord that is unsurpassed in my life with anyone else. How about you? Turn to Matthew chapter 26. This, this topic of prayer being a catalyst, what I don't want you to do is to have a Sunday school kind of childish answer. Well, pastor, everyone could probably pray more. It's not what I'm talking about. What you're trying to do there is decide that it's not really a catalyst. You're trying to excuse where you are. I'm not asking if everybody should pray more. I'm asking if you should pray more. I'm not asking if everyone should do something differently. I'm asking if you should do something differently. I'm asking if you should cry out to the Lord in a way that reflects something different in you. I am trying to learn how to cry out for when I'm praying for Aisha, I want it to be as if I were praying for myself. Like with the same fervency. Like I'm in trouble and I pray like, Lord, I really need to hear from you. Can I do the same thing for Aisha? Can I do the same thing for Nick? If he's got a need, do I cry out for it as if it were the same thing that, were, that I was going through in suffering? When I'm crying out for Eliana, I don't, I don't even want to pretend like I could be in that situation, but I want to start learning how to pray for it like it was them praying for her. That's becoming my new minimum standard. I'm not trying to say that to impress anyone. I don't know that it would impress you anyway. I'm trying to say, this is what the Lord is challenging me, and that's my minimum. That's it. You know what it's doing? It's changing how I pray for you guys. I'm not thinking through a list now. Well, Lord, I know that Judah needs this, and Lord, I'm praying. Lord, would you, would you bless Judah? No. <laughs> Lord, <laughs> what are you doing? Help him. <laughs> Be with him. Let the suffering prove who you are in his life, Lord. Lord, would you give them direct? Just go after it. I'm not asking you to be burdened with everyone in the church. I'm asking you to do it well for your family. That's my privilege. Once you do it well for your family, though, you'll start, it'll, the Lord will start speaking to you and he'll start speaking through you. Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Yeah, he's about to take the weight of the, the, the sin of the world upon his shoulders. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Hey, I just need y'all to, can you just be with me? Jesus is praying this. He's asking for his friends to be with him. Hey, guys, I am, I am so burdened. I just need some help. 
going a little further. It takes us going a little farther in our prayer life. He had already separated himself. He had already called the three. He had already told them and shared with them what was going on. He, they were already separated and it says what? He went a little farther. Let's go a little farther in our prayers tonight. Let's go a little farther in our prayers tomorrow. Let's just, just go farther. Let's see this. Let's let this be um, seen in our lives. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. <sighs> Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away from me unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. The... Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, knock. Those words are ongoing. Ask and keep asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Pray and keep on praying. It, it, it is, it's not a, I did it once, I can check it off my list. I can check prayer off my list today because I, I woke up this morning and I kneeled beside my bed. Well, amen. You're not done. Pray without ceasing. I'm not impressed if you can pray a long time. I just I'm, I want to encourage us all to go, go a little further. Go back again. Keep praying. Let it be a, an attitude of our heart. Let it be a discipline in our life. Then he turned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us go, because here comes my betrayer. The last catalyst that I want to talk about to you quickly. Yeast, sin, suffering. Prayer, resurrection. Oop. Resurrection. John, let's. Uh, I'm just going to go through a few of these kind of quickly again. Susan, John 11:24 says this. Martha answered, "I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at that last day." This is um, um, Lazarus has just died. Next verse, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. <laughs> Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I know you're talking about a resurrection at the end of time. Jesus is saying, you're actually talking to the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Let's look at Acts 23, verses 6 through 8. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee the son of a Pharisee. I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. You cannot overemphasize the catalyst that the resurrection power of the Lord is. You cannot overemphasize this as a believer. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 1. I think it'll be verses 1 through 4. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scripture, regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness, wow, 
who through the spirit of holiness, through the Holy Spirit, was declared with power to be the Son of God. How was Jesus declared to be the Son of God? By His resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. Take a look at Matthew chapter 27, verses 51 through 53. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open. Wait, what? I, I, I like this little small nugget that the scripture gives us. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. Jesus dies on the cross. The veil is rent and dead people get up and start walking around. Is that not the encapsulation of the entire gospel? Yeah. He died for us because we were dead, and because he died, we can now live. That is the story of the gospel in its entirety. Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. I'm getting too old. That's, that's awful small. Okay. <laughs> Glasses. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of the Lord, the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. I think, let's do one more. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. And we will do one more verse. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. <laughs> Once you've been resurrected, you've been resurrected. We saw it as a picture in Lazarus. But you know what? Re Lazarus was the first to rise from the dead. He was risen there, but then he died. It was not a permanent resurrection. Jesus Christ is the firstborn from among the dead. The firstborn that will never die again. He is risen the second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. Everybody turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm just going to read a few verses. The catalyst of the resurrection. I'm amazed at sometimes at how long it took me as a believer to understand the importance of the resurrection. I kind of knew it, there's no, there's no reason for, the, for Jesus coming unless there's the, the Passover where he, where he died and was resurrected again. But I can't tell you, when this starts actually working in you, this resurrection, this thought of the resurrection, it's the very hope of Christianity. It is the hope. It's, it's not an elected official. The hope of Christianity is the resurrection. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 15. Let's read verse 12. Uh, I'm sorry, let's do verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Let's skip down to verse. 
so much I want to read. Let's go to verse 42. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Jesus Christ did this for us. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is now dwelling in us. It has got to be a catalyst. The dead parts of us must be resurrected. We have to have this power at work in us. Take a look at verse 56. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Which, by the way, is very consistent with what we read in Romans. It it is right along. I don't have time to, to delve off into that, but this is exactly what we read. Romans 7, Romans 5. But thanks be to God, He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers, stand firm. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Last verse, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. I, I mean, really know Him. Like, like, really, really understand who He is. I want to know. I want to have an intimate understanding of who He is. And what? The power of His resurrection. And the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings. Becoming like Him in His death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. How are the catalysts at work in your life? What are the catalysts that are going on in your life showing you today? Are there things that you need to get rid of? Jettison. Go after and throw out the the entire batch. (laughs) If food goes bad in your pantry... Are you the type that tries to save what you can? The bread is completely moldy. And you just tear off all the trimming of it. So you can get a little nugget of bread. Or are you like me? I will throw it away and then anything that was touching it, it gets thrown too. But, 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 no. No. Just no. How about we just jettison those things? Not trying to salvage it. We throw it out like it tells us in 1 Corinthians 5. And we get a new batch that's made without yeast. As you really are. We have catalysts that work in our life and they tell us a lot of things about ourselves. If we'll let them. How you react, whether you're being pushed towards hot or cold, it is showing you what's really on the inside. It's just accelerating it. You may not like what it's showing you, but it's showing you the real you. You may not like what suffering shows you, 
but it's showing you you. You may not like what your prayer life shows you, but it's showing you you. You may not like what you see in the sin and yeast in your life, but as he reveals it to you, you better jettison it. You better get rid of it. You may not feel like you walk in enough for the resurrection power, but it's really you.